Listener Production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. Tom Tilly with you, joined by Katrina Blowers. Hey, Tom, I saw on Instagram you had a pretty big weekend. Back to your happy place, back to the snow at last. Yeah, got back to Threadbow and we threw our party again after it being cancelled twice during the pandemic and had such a beautiful weekend, yeah. Oh, Um, so good. And you did a bit of DJing. Yeah, so we took the baby down, so it was a bit of family time, but we, yeah, threw the party again, um, first base, and it was a pretty funny moment. It, It went so well. There were just tons of people down to party. And we had this funny moment where the briefing came up, actually. We, um, towards the end of the set, we played I'm Every Woman by Whitney Houston. It's the kind of party it is. And so a whole bunch of women got up on the stage and it was all chaos security. We're trying to get them off. And in the midst of all this mayhem, someone leans in over the decks and goes, Hey, Tom, really enjoying the briefing. Thanks so much. Oh, my goodness. It was to be like, what's happening? Are all my worlds colliding here? I'm like, oh, thank you very much. Yeah, just I'll just get back to this DJ mix. Um, hope you're enjoying the party. Um, Anyway, so great weekend. That's so beautiful. Well, hopefully they enjoy today's briefing topic, which is going to look at the crisis in the construction industry. Uh, We had this tip off from a briefing listener called Jason. I believe the degree of ongoing cost escalation combined with freight issues and general shortages could genuinely see the market slow to a near halt after government stimulus runs out. Yeah, it's a strange situation where you've got builders who are really, really busy, and you'll know that if you've tried to get a trade in in lots of parts of Australia, but lots of these construction companies are losing big money and some of them are going under. Yeah, that's it. So how do you navigate your way through this if you're a consumer? What does it actually mean? Because there are people saying that this could tip the whole country into recession. So the crisis in the construction industry is today's briefing episode. But first up, let's get into today's headlines, hey? Yeah, let's do it. It is Monday, July 25. Well, after copying it over the weekend from both farmers and travellers, the federal government has now issued sweeping biosecurity powers to keep foot and mouth disease out of the country. These are the strongest ever measures introduced by an Australian government ever in terms of biosecurity. That's the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese. So the measures include uh, travellers walking over sanitation mats at airports and inspectors being able to destroy livestock if the disease is detected. Yeah, so if it gets into Australia, it will threaten an $80 billion wipeout of the Australian livestock industry. The opposition leader, Peter Dutton, and the Nationals are calling on the government to actually close the border to Indonesia temporarily, and that includes Bali. It's worth noting for anyone who's got trips planned though, the government says it does not have plans to do this for now. Yeah, so it was a pretty strong call from the opposition and we have a a massive trade relationship with Indonesia and I think uh, the Labor government, they're sort of thinking back to 2011 when they stopped live exports to Indonesia Mm. after, you know, we learned more about the treatment of cattle there and so they were trying to do the right thing in terms of animal welfare but they decimated that industry and put loads of people under huge financial pressure. Mm. So they're not going to do that again. They're not going to sort of pull up the drawbridge on the border. They're just going to do as much as they can to protect us from foot and mouth disease. Speaking of federal politics, it's going to be a big week. Well, that's if you are in Canberra. It's actually the first sitting week of the Albanese government. Yeah, and one of the controversial items on the agenda is the federal government's plan to wind back the powers of the Australian Building and Construction Commission. 
So we will no longer be spending taxpayers' money determining what sticker someone's allowed to put on their helmet, whether or not a safety sign has to be pulled down because it's got a union logo in the bottom corner, or what flag might be flying at a building site. So this organisation which uh, polices union activities on worksite has a bit of a chequered history, Tom. Yeah, so it was first introduced by the Howard government, then it was scrapped by the Gillard government, then reintroduced by the Abbott government, and now... Here we are again, and its powers are being gutted this week by Labor in new legislation, and then they want to get rid of it altogether. So in total this week, it's going to be mega. The Albanese government plans to introduce at least 18 pieces of legislation to Parliament. They include aged care reform, setting new emissions targets and introducing 10 days of domestic violence leave. So really powering through some important stuff. Yeah, and it's going to test, I guess, the new power dynamics in the parliament, particularly in the Senate, where Labor don't have a majority. They're going to rely on the Greens and at least one other crossbencher to get legislation through parliament. So I guess the horse trading is going to start. The World Health Organisation has declared the growing monkeypox outbreak a global emergency. I have decided that the global monkeypox outbreak represents a public health emergency of international concern. That is the WHO's Director General, Dr Tedros Ghebreyes, and this is the agency's highest level of alert. There are 16,000 cases in 75 countries of monkeypox. Um, there have been five deaths and a total of 41 confirmed cases in Australia. Yeah, if this news kind of makes you, especially after the pandemic, it just makes your heart sink. It is worth noting that there are smallpox vaccines and treatment available in Australia. There have also been no fatalities here either yet. It is also transmitted in a completely different way to COVID. And Splendour in the Grass wound up last night after a very tough and muddy weekend for everyone. After two years of COVID cancellations, I just felt so sad Mm. for everyone who went there. Looking on their Instagram, gumboots were an absolute sellout. They were a hot item, hard to get. Uh, The first day of the festival, Friday, was cancelled after heavy rain caused huge flooding at the site. Festival goers were also stopped in traffic jams for 15 hours waiting to get in. It was pretty... Incredible that they even got Saturday going again. So they managed to do that. Um, then they had a problem with transport, getting people home that night. Some people waiting six hours, they said, to get buses off the site. Um, but they did get the artists on the stage on Saturday. Well done to the organisers and the people yeah. that just stuck it out and said, nah, we're, we're here to party, let's go for it. Um, so last night it wound up with a, a massive night on the main stage. Tyler, the creator, um, played the final set and earlier Liam Gallagher hit the stage. Oh, there it is. I love it. I love that he's still like super relevant to everyone. But it's something, you know, for for all ages, people, uh, friends of mine who went there, like from their 20s right through to their 40s. And everyone was really just getting into it in the end. They were making the most of the festival fashion with the gumboots. So I reckon that's going to be what remains in people's heads, that people just made the most of it. Event organisers did the best they could. And it still turned out to be an epic weekend. Yeah, and hopefully they have a beautiful, sunny festival next year with absolutely no problems whatsoever. I think they definitely deserve that. And you've been staying up to watch this over the last three weeks. Uh, The Tour de France has now wrapped up, though, in Paris overnight. 
Yeah, it's been an incredible race. I haven't been staying up to watch it live. I've just been dipping straight into the highlights each morning. And uh, yeah, it was a Danish rider called Jonas Vingegaard who took out the race. He's the first Danish rider to win the event in 26 years. It's really incredible. Uh, it's hard for me to, to put words on it. It's, uh, yeah, it's the biggest within cycling and yeah, we did it. Yeah, so it was an incredible performance. That was him speaking just after the final stage, which is very dramatic. It um, comes along the Champs-Élysées in Paris. Um, Australia's Caleb Ewan um, finished eighth last night in the stage, but had a bit of a tough race overall. So the real drama in this year's race was last year's defending champion, um, Tade Pogacar, up against Jonas Vindegaard, and they battled it out through the Alps. Mm. And um, yeah, Vindegaard got the lead there. He was up by a couple of minutes. And then every day in the race after that, when they went over to the Pyrenees, um, Tade Pogacar would like break out ahead and try and get away from him. But every time the Danish rider just caught up to him. So it was just this incredible duel. And one of the biggest talking points was this moment where Tade Pogacar, they were battling it out and he crashed. And Jonas Vinegard waited for him to catch up to him because he didn't want to win the stage Aww. on that basis. And when he caught up to him, they reached out and sort of did a little handshake as they were riding along and then got back underway. See, when you put it all like that, that actually makes me want to watch it. So maybe next year I'll be staying up and watching this as well because it actually sounds really lovely and mateship and, uh, and a beautiful battle at the end. You have to understand a lot of like intricate details to sort of see the narrative within all of it. But I think um, the thing that anyone can love about the Tour de France is just the scenery they ride through. It is just yeah. so beautiful. All right, Tom, we will catch you later. Uh, I'm about to take a deep dive into what's going on in the construction industry. Hey, Katrina Blau is here with you. So let's get into our briefing on the construction industry. Here's a bit more of the message Jason left us outlining his concerns for the industry. I believe the degree of ongoing cost escalation combined with freight issues and general shortages could genuinely see the market slow to a near halt after government stimulus runs out. Projects are starting to be pulled by owners and developers as they no longer stack up and there's a very real risk consumers won't be able to service loans after receiving variations in the order of 10 to 15% of their original contract sums. Demand needs to slow, skilled labour needs to immigrate, and the market needs to steady. But will there be a mini recession before this happens? Yeah, so that's one of our briefing listeners, Jason there, who got in touch with us on our Instagram feed. He's raised a huge amount of questions about the trouble that's happening right now in the construction industry. Trouble's probably understating it a little bit. And while it might feel like you're seeing construction everywhere you look in major cities, it's being called a profitless boom. So-called construction zombie businesses propped up by pandemic packages facing collapse as soon as those payments stop and inflation bites. We've already seen it happen to Big names like ProBuild, Condev, Privium and BA Murphy to name just a few. Not only has it left tens of thousands of people out of work, families out of pocket, some in the industry are predicting it could tip us into full-blown recession. So how did we get here and what could happen next? Phil Dwyer, who's the president of the Builders Collective of Australia, joins us on The Briefing now. 
Phil, if you had to pinpoint where it all began, what was the key turning point for the construction industry? Has this actually been brewing for a lot longer than most of us were aware of? The situation with the building industry over, say, the last five years, we've had a fairly heated industry. But by the same token, while we've had uh, lots of work, it hasn't translated into making lots of money either because there's been an enormous amount of down pressure on contracts and that sort of thing by architects and owners, etc. But having said that, it's been a very, very busy uh, period of time with an escalating shortage of trades and uh, just very difficult to get jobs done under a good contract or good contract conditions. And that's been building and escalating, in our opinion, until we get to COVID. And then uh, the COVID situation has made a big difference to the building industry again by isolation and that type of thing, even though the building industry wasn't shut down. But it still had a big impact on the industry and the people that work within the industry with different views and different attitudes. Yeah, I guess from uh, a layperson's point of view, you look around, it seems like construction is happening everywhere and you can't get a tradie, you know, no matter what you do. So why aren't people making money? Is it due to those, as you say, the changing nature of contracts with fixed price contracts and of course the shortage of material and the rising cost of materials? There is the uh, cost escalations that have been enormous, biggest we've ever experienced. While you say that, uh, yes, the industry is very busy, you can't get trades and so on, we've got an enormous shortage of skilled trades. We call it the profitless boom. So, you know, you can have an industry that's really, really busy and yet no one seems to be making money out of it. Some do, but uh, a lot don't. But also margins within the building industry over the last number of years We've got builders uh, building properties or building projects with such slim margins. One little thing to go wrong and there's a problem. Now, you've been a builder for over 30 years. The industry's certainly suffered some downturns before. Do you reckon this one's different? I've been building for over 40 years, actually. Where we've had downturns in the past, the reasons behind them have only just been one or two situations might be the world economy, yet that could be anything. This time, we've got numerous situations that are uh, impacting on the industry. You know, we've already spoken about COVID, uh, but we've got world events. We've got the Ukraine war. We take a lot of timber from Russia. All these sort of things are all impacting on on our industry. Then we've got supply chain from everywhere, uh, the issues in uh, China, you know, the ability for skilled trades. We don't have migration the way we had it in the past. And these cost escalations, together with fixed price contracts and so on, we've got a multitude of uh, issues that are now creating uh, the perfect storm. We've got a, a really difficult period coming up. So it's it's really hard to determine the total number of jobs impacted by this, but if you had to take a guess, where would you put it at? I think half the industry is going to be impacted by the circumstances that we have. 
And whether we like it or not, that impact is going to take place. Uh, and I don't think that there is any one single thing or uh, multiple circumstances that we can make any difference at this point of time. I believe that we're heading for a recession with certainly within the building industry, and I think it'll be uh, Australia-wide and worldwide. Gosh, this is all sounding pretty grim, um, and I'm imagining morale on site must be impacted by this too. We've got a situation where both builders and consumers, so it's both sides of a contract that have got to start being very sensible. Otherwise, there's going to be more pain than what is necessary. And any consumer that has a builder that fails and we have a contract that fails, they're put in a dreadful situation. And that doesn't matter whether it's New South Wales, Victoria, Western Australia, Northern Territory, it doesn't matter. Every set of circumstances will create pain for a number of years and uh, that's very unfortunate, but that's the way we're heading, we believe. So what advice would you give to anyone looking to take on a build at the moment? I would say sit back a little bit and wait. The old adage of she'll be right won't stand up under these circumstances. We need to be very careful. Consumers and builders alike need to be very, very careful. Builders taking on jobs for slim margins is foolish, but, you know, as everyone argues, well, if I don't take the slim margins, if I don't meet the uh, conditions of the time, I'm going to miss out on the job and be out of work. Well, I can tell you it would be far better to be out of work than take on a job that's going to put you under. And the same thing where you have the consumers Take away the thought of, oh, let's get half a dozen quotes and take the cheapest. No, don't do that. Have a look at your builder. Make sure he's stable. Make sure if you're going to go ahead under these, well, within this environment, check out your builder. Check out the last two or three jobs. Make sure that the builder that you choose has the financial capacity to undertake your building your home. Make sure that he is capable of carrying out the work. And the only way you can do that is by checking past experience, immediate past experience. Speak to his clients, his prior clients, and find out that whether he's okay or not okay. Uh, if not, walk away from it. Don't do it. Don't take it on and uh, take the attitude, she'll be right, oh, there's warranty insurance. No, warranty insurance is only there under extreme circumstances and very difficult to get. So don't get any bright ideas about she'll be right. Step back and take a closer look at what they're doing and make sure that what they're doing is going to bear fruit. Uh, and if you don't, it's your own fault. And finally, what are a couple of key things that would need to happen in order for the best case scenario to take place and for us to all navigate our way through this? There's a lot of uneasiness and there's a lot of, lot of hurt in the industry now. We all need to be very careful and not be foolish with anything that we do. And if you don't have margins to cater for the circumstances that are prevailing, from a builder's point of view, you're very foolish entering into a contract with anyone if you don't have those margins. 
That was Phil Dwyer, the president of the Builders Collective of Australia. He gave some pretty sound and sensible advice for anyone who's considering a build right now and and for people who are in the building industry. Uh, Really worrying times and so devastating for so many thousands of people. You've got to hope that things do improve from here. And on tomorrow's briefing, what can be done about jobs for mates in politics? Uh, Nepotism we've known for ages is rife, so is there something we can do about it? Listener.